Welcome to the club no one ever wanted to join. This is Refused, the unofficial podcast of Eliasm.org. Having a tough time spelling that? It's an acronym for I Live in a Sexless Marriage. Listen to stories, articles, and sometimes the dark humor experienced by those in sexless marriages here on Refused. On Eliasm.org, you'll see much wiser people than me give advice on coping with sexless marriage. And you may see my less useful posts under the name Mirror Orchid. Until then, you've suffered enough. On with the show. Addressing the Sexless Marriage, Part 6. This is the last of a six-part series which appeared on the Curmudgeonly Librarian blog in 2015. The same caveat applies to this episode as the previous five addressing essays presented to you at John Mashita's speed. If you skip the first five episodes, that's on you. CSL is an unabashedly and unashamedly conservative Christian, and what he writes reflects his belief. Forewarned is forearmed, and if that's too much to swallow, then please spare yourself any perturbation. No harm, no foul, as they say. For the purpose of pronoun simplicity, while CSL is writing this series to refused husbands, wives that desire more sexual intimacy should keep listening, because pretty much everything he says should apply to their situation as well. In my last post, podcast, I shared an incident that I had read about where a refuser turned on his spouse and made accusations against his wife, saying that she was a sex addict, pestering him for all the sex, all the time. I have to tell you folks that this type of thing really burns my biscuits because it's just plain dirty pool. I'm sorry, but more often than not, the problem is the refuser and this type of response, which is all too common, stinks. It's never the refuser's fault that sex is not happening in the marriage. There is usually a list of myriad reasons for not having sex at the moment, but when the string starts to get long and both know that the drought is approaching weeks, months, or even years, excuses get pushed aside for bigger guns, accusations, recriminations, and blame shifting. All you think about is sex. I'm going to say that this is probably true. After all, you know who thinks about food all the time? A starving man. You know who thinks about water all the time? A thirsty man. You know who thinks about oxygen all the time? A man being choked to death. Basically, when you deprive a man or woman of something that they need, it becomes the focal point of their thinking. It's human nature. It is true that the refused spouse does think about sex a lot. But let's turn that one on its head. Let's consider this question. Who doesn't think about sex all the time? I'll tell you who doesn't think about sex all the time. Someone who doesn't have to worry if he or she is going to get lucky this year. That's who. When sex is a regular part of a marriage, it ceases to be the continual tussle that it is in a sexless marriage. There is no more stress of trying and failing, again, to initiate sex. For wives who might be convinced that they do need to change their attitude toward sex and start to become more open to his initiation and have more sex with your husband here as a caveat. Please understand that your husband may not believe that this is real or even permanent and this is merely a blip on the radar. After all, you have taught him that he can't expect a sex life and it is reasonable that he may believe that this largesse on your part is only temporary and may be withdrawn at any moment without warning. 
After World War II, aid workers who worked with starved men and women from the prison camps noted that these former prisoners would take some of the food that they were given and hide it in a pocket. The aid workers told them they didn't have to do that, that there would be food at the next mealtime, but they had been conditioned to not be able to expect food regularly, so these workers took to giving these people two portions of bread at every meal, one to eat, one to save. In time, the former prisoners came to realize that they weren't going to be starved again. If, by some odd freak chance, a wife who has been a refuser wanders in here and listens to this podcast, please give your husband time to learn that you want to be his lover, not his keeper. With that in mind, please read these three posts by Chris Taylor over at ForgivenWife.com. She has written very eloquently about this. Go to her blog and look for these three titles. Extending Grace, Rebuilding His Trust, Your Husband's Healing. Now, after that little detail is done with, let me get back to the accusations, recriminations, and blame shifting that I mentioned at the start of this podcast. How about this one? All you want me for is sex. There are so many good comebacks to this one, but the best one I've ever heard came from a marriage counselor. One woman made that accusation against her husband in couples counseling. All he wants me for is sex. To him, that's all I'm good for. The counselor shut that down with a simple question. If that's true, why would he even stay married to you since you don't have sex? This is one accusation that, when you look at it, actually has no force behind it. It's merely an attempt to push the refused spouse away and make them the guilty party. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have sex with your husband or wife. It's biblical. It's natural. And given Paul's command in 1 Corinthians 7 to not defraud your spouse in the matter of sex, sex is actually expected in a marriage. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to have sex with your spouse. Do you know what is not natural? Not wanting to have sex with your spouse. As I said here, thinking and writing, it seems that it is only right to return to the question. Just, why do you want me? Why do you want to be married to me? Father to our kids? Okay, but what about when they're grown and gone? You love me? Funny, but I don't feel loved. I feel ignored, unloved, and undesired. So just, why do you want me? You accuse me of wanting you only for sex, but why do you even want me? And then there's this one. Well, if you did more blank, insert your personal goalpost here, then maybe I'd want sex more. This one is easy to answer. Bovine effluvia. This line is the never-ending maze with the sign over the door that says, chore play. This excuse invites you to start trying to earn sex by jumping through hoops, the quantity of which are unknown and quite likely expanding, with the desired result, sex, still very much in doubt. After all, there is that one word, maybe. It's not a promise of more sex, it is merely a tease for more sex, much like the carrot dangled before the mule. Before I go any further, let me insert this caveat. If it turns out that you are one of those pseudo-men who come home from work and unwind by playing video games for six hours, or spend all your time fishing, hunting, watching sports, and do nothing around the house, then you don't get sex, pure and simple. Your contribution to this marriage isn't just a paycheck, so do your share around the house and read my post. It's not about you, dude. <laughs>
on my curmudgeonly librarian blog. Having said that, I want to categorically state that sexual intimacy in marriage is not a bartering chip. I'm reminded of the old story of a man who meets a beautiful woman at a party and asks her if she would sleep with him for a million dollars. She gives a little consideration, looking him up and down, and answers, sure I would. The man then asks, would you sleep with me for ten dollars? She blows up into a huff and demands, what do you think I am? To which the man replied, we've established what you are, now we're just negotiating. Any Christian wife who would even entertain trying to make her husband earn sex with services rendered is damaging her marriage, pure and simple. Enough said. How about this one? You're an addict! This vicious shot is both the meanest and most false of the different accusations that can be hurled at a refused spouse. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have sex with your husband or wife. Nothing. To make this accusation against your spouse is simply vile. It's one thing to not like sex or not want sex. If that is the case, admit it and seek help, whether it be counseling or treatment, but do not make false accusations against your spouse for wanting to engage in something that God has created, has pronounced his blessing upon, and has said is right and good. This accusation is, frankly, just stinking and rotten. That said, it seems to me that this should actually be one of the easiest diversion tactics to disarm, to my way of thinking. Let's look at how this conversation could go. Husband tries to initiate sex, and wife says, What? We just had sex a week or so ago. You're a sex addict. Husband, oh, do you think so? If that's the case, then we need to have me seen by a doctor or counselor. No, you don't have to do that. Just don't pester me for sex all the time. No, dear, after all, sexual addiction is a serious psychological disorder. There are treatments for it. If I have sexual addiction, I need to seek treatment. Let's schedule an initial appointment with a counselor to see what our options are. She's locked in, isn't she? She's made the accusation, and sexual addiction is a serious psychological disorder. She can't very well be seen as a loving, caring wife and yet deny you treatment, right? So you get her before a counselor, a third party, and when you tell him, her, with your wife right there, that your wife believes you to have a sex addiction for wanting to have sex three times a week, the counselor will laugh her out of the office or make her deal with the fact that she has made a false accusation against you and that she is a refuser. Okay, that's a scenario I'd love to see played out, but I don't know anyone who'd try it. But the situation comes down to this. Your desire for her sexual intimacy with your spouse is not wrong, but his her refusal to allow sex is. You're not in the wrong. They are. Stand on that fact and call it what it is. Sin. Again, remember, listeners, that CSL is coming from a conservative Christian worldview. We can call it what it is, sexual refusal. So, for a quick summary, in this podcast, I presented four of the most common accusations made by refusers to justify their refusal. Each and every one is merely an attempt to divert blame to the refused, making their feelings of frustration and neglect their problems, and therefore of no concern to the refuser. I hope that if it is the case that you have experienced one or more of these accusations, that you are now able to see them for the smoke screens and diversions that they are, and are able to see that what you desire is right and good, and not wrong. 
That's today's show. Thanks for listening. Drop by Eliasm.org to learn a whole lot more about sexless marriages and what to do about them. Or just find this sympathetic ear. That's I-L-I-A-S-M.org. We're sorry you tuned in, but do it again soon. This podcast was narrated and edited by Muir Orchid. The Addressing the Sexless Marriage essay series is written by CSL and can be found at curmudgeonlylibrarian.wordpress.com. The intro and outro music is sampled from the instrumental Drown in Thoughts on the album Illusions by X Tickerex, whose name I may be butchering, available at freemusicarchive.org. This episode of Refused is not brought to you by the Magic Pan Restaurants. Are they any good? Don't know. The only locations left are at Denver and Washington airports. Am I going to the airport, paying for parking, schlepping inside to find out? No, but dang it was good when I was a kid. If you're flying out of Denver or Washington, stop by and have a spinach souffle or chicken elegante crepe. You might be glad you did. I don't fly anywhere, so... I don't eat there, but if I did, I would. At least once. The Magic Pan Restaurants. Hey, it's either that or cinnamon. Try it. So long. You're not alone. It'll be okay. I need a better sign-off. <laughs>